Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Mojoa Performing Arts Company believes that the African-American community has rich stories that deserve to be told. I'm so grateful to have had a conversation with Robin Carmen Marshall, the executive director of Mojoa, as the company moves into its fifth season. We talk about the formation of Mojoa as a family business and how Robin continues to cultivate that feeling of community within the company. She makes space and holds space for people to show up as themselves in really meaningful ways. Robin talks about her dreams for the company and what's next, her process as a playwright, and the importance of sharing the stories of our elders, especially women and people of color. Robin Carmen Marshall is an inspiration. Enjoy the episode. Robin Carmen Marshall is a playwright, director, performer, activist, North Carolina native, and the executive director of Mojoa Performing Arts Company. She has an MFA in playwriting from Adelphi University. Robin's works have been produced by Mordecai Historic Park, New Providence Missionary Baptist Church, Burning Coal Theater Company, Cary Playwrights, Long Island University Honors Conference, Nassau County Correctional Facility, Memorial Presbyterian Church, and the National Black Theater Festival 2011 Reading Series. Her play, From the Boot of Timberland, is performed in domestic violence workshops. It received a staged reading at the National Black Theater Festival 2011, and it received the 2011 Graduate Award in Playwriting. Robin served as the founder and artistic director of the Sana Movement Dance Company, based in Long Island, New York, where they toured the tri-state region and abroad. Robin, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. I'm very excited to talk with you. Me too. So congratulations, because Mojoa is coming up on its fifth year anniversary. Yes. Is that this fall? Yes. Fall of 2019. We're, we're going into our fifth season. Great. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to talk about the, your company, but for people who are unfamiliar, would you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. We are a African-American performing arts company. We know that we need all people to tell our stories. So we have actors, all nationalities, all races. A lot of times when you think of maybe African-American performing arts, you think, well, maybe you're only going to see shows with all you know folks of color, but that's not, not the way our world is. Why did you start this company? Well, we started it probably because out of a need, there, there was a need for places for us to tell our stories. We always wanted to start a company, mm -hmm. performing arts company. So when we moved down here, down to North Carolina, we decided, well, now is the time and this is the place. We had attended, Monet and I had attended performances and 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 shows and we thought, you know, we, we really need to have a place where we can tell our stories and we can, you know, find performers. I know, I mean, performers are everywhere and um, to give them an opportunity as well. So that's what we did. What impact has Mojoa's work had first on the community, either the people who participate or take in the work? but also on your life 
in the last five years? As far as the the impact on the community, let, let me let me first talk about that. Um, it's provided everyday people and I mean like volunteers, uh we have like like firemen who who work with us. We have painters, we have teacher assistants, we have crossing guards. So like like the everyday person is is giving them an opportunity to do something they probably always wanted to do, which is perform. I, I would say that. And then it's um, also too, we, we let the community know that, that this is your space and it's not something so far removed. A lot of times when you may go to a performance, um, you, you may think, well, well, I'm here in an audience, but that's them mm-hmm. on the stage. Mm-hmm. But we let them know that this is your space. And um, I think that's the impact that we've made, made on a community. Some of the feedback that we've gotten from the performers is that, that they felt welcomed. And that's what we want more than anything else is to have that space. As far as, uh, as the impact that it's made on us, from, from my family and I, you mean, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's... Uh, we we are Mojoa. <laughs> we are Mojoa. I mean, we um not not too many days uh, having Mojoa is like having a an, another child, right? So I have you know Monet, Jordan, Aaron, and Mojoa, right? Another member of the family, another member of the family, mm-hmm. and, and we have a dog, so <laughs> Caspian, the dog. So um. That that's what it is. It's it's like you have this this dream, and then to see it come true, and to see um, how it's impacted our family. I mean, we are all involved in in some capacity. Monet serves as 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 the artistic director. My Brian is on the board. Brian is my husband. And my oldest son, Jordan, Jordan performs. He hasn't performed in a while, but he's a performer. So he does that. And my youngest son, Aaron, helps me with tech. So he's learning, you know, all the behind the scene work. And um, there are times when when Mojoa, um, probably like a lot of small businesses can like take over. Mm-hmm. So you have to... Um, to find balance even in that. But um, I wouldn't have it any other way right now because it, it, it has been such a blessing to our family, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to do this and to be able to, to share what, what we have with everyone else. Mm-hmm. So how did Mojoa start? Was this a conversation that you had around the dinner table or what, how was it born? What was the spark? Well, again, it was it was it was something something that I always wanted to do. I mean, always, and and when I say always, now when I was still in New York, I I founded a um a, a dance troupe, and we we traveled in the tri-state area, and and we traveled abroad. Um, so I understood, you know, the impact that you know forming a company could have on a community. Because that one also was for 
for for everyday people. Mm-hmm. I only had we we had at one point in that company we had about forty dancers, and maybe only five of them had had studied and trained in dance. Um, but if if you tell people, you know what, I know you can do this. I know you can do this. Just try it. And if you give them an opportunity, some they will rise to the occasion. And so, again, before moving down, I knew I wanted to do a theater company. And so, again, coming down, it was like, you know, this is a thing you need to do because I had written some plays back here. I think my first, the first play that I wrote was back in about 19 years ago, actually, about 19 years ago. I really didn't know that it was a play at the time. I just knew that I had these words that Mm. kept coming to me. And so then I had to, and then with that, once I realized that I had to to, um, stage it, you know, direct it and the whole bit. And so um, that started, you know, the, I mean, I, I always thought that I would be involved in dance, mm-hmm. but not necessarily theater because dance is my, dance was my thing. Um, but it turned out that it, it, it was theater mm-hmm. all along. How did you get the rest of your family on board? Because it's, it feels like the inspiration for this has been a longtime desire of yours, mm-hmm. but Mojo is a family business. So did you ask them or did they say, you know, mom, you really want to do this. Let's do this. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, actually, my my husband got involved first. And what I mean by that, I went back to school for theater as an adult. So I was I had I wrote that play while I was pregnant on bed rest mm. with my youngest and I made a lot of mistakes in the in in producing it and directing it. Spent a lot of money. <laughs> and so my husband said, "You know what? You you need to go to school for this. If this is what you're going to do, you need to go to school." So he he like planted the seed. And so I started school and um with that, Monet was young, so I would take her and Jordan and Aaron with me to the theater. And I would set up the, the playpen and, mm-hmm. and, and she would be in the wings watching and, you know, babysitting him, but she would be watching. And then my oldest son would be on the big wheel riding <laughs> up and down the hallway in, in the theater. So they grew up in the theater. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of getting a family involved, it, it was, it, you know, just like you go anyplace else, you take your kids with you to church, you mm-hmm. take your kids with you to the mall, you take them with you to other social functions. So they had to go with me to, to my, you know, to like play rehearsals or, or any night classes if I didn't have childcare. Mm-hmm. So that's how that happened. That makes a lot of sense. It's always been a part of your family. Th- that's all they know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. As executive director what does your work entail? <laughs> my work, my work entails any and everything that's required right. to get that play on that stage on time. That could mean anything from helping like with like social media and, and I'm, and I'm not even really that really good at social media, but you know, you do what you have to do. Now I have help with that though. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad. So, costumes, um, 
procuring uh, props, set design, whatever I have to do, whatever we need to do. Um, the one thing that I would like to do more of is um, networking hmm. because um, I also work full time. And so I really don't have a lot of free time to do the networking that's required or, or that I think is necessary. And finding, you know, patrons and, and, and funding, that's what I, I would like to be able to do more of. But so any and everything, that's, that's what I do. So for the networking purposes, who do you think it would be helpful to network with? I would like to spend more time with other executive directors, some CEOs of, of, of theater, you know, mm -hmm. companies, organizations, because you, you know, you need to surround yourself with people who are successful and glean from them and learn all that you can in any way that you can. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I would like to be able to do more of. I think it can be very lonely potentially to be in a leadership position in a small company mm -hmm. because you are doing everything yeah. to put up the work and how and so there's a lot of learning on the job yes. that I think makes it sometimes really inefficient because yeah. you have a whole bunch of people who are doing all of this learning on the job instead of sharing it with each other. Of course, nobody has time to get yeah. together and share this information, but yeah, that's a tough job. Yes. You mentioned that people commented on this feeling of community and feeling like Mojo is their space. How do you do that? How do you build that feeling? One of the first things that we do when we meet, especially once the show has been cast, we have them to, to look around the room and we tell them, this is a safe space. This is a safe space. And defining what's, what safety means. It could mean making sure that people understand pronouns, preferred pronouns. It could mean uh, making sure that when the youth come in, that if if we aren't working on their scene, that if they have homework to do, that we are making sure that they take care of that because we tell them that's your job first. First and foremost, I know you love being here with us, but that's your job. So <laughs> making sure that that's done. If someone comes in and, and their energy may not necessarily be what, what we're accustomed to finding out what's going on. And if they are going through some, something, whatever it is, me or the director, we aren't stressing them mm. because they aren't on point with their cues or whatever. So creating that, that safe place where we're free to make, make mistakes you know, we're free to be who, who we are. That's what's most important to us. It's, it's about the community. Yes, we want to put up this show. We want it to be fabulous like everybody else's, uh, you know, but what's, what's more important than anything else is that we create a place and a space that they want to be in and want to come back to kind of like home. Mm -hmm. As you go into your fifth season do you have celebrations in mind or how are you approaching this this birthday party 
I know, I know. I don't want to add to your to-do list, but I wonder if you have something no, in mind. No, but you know what, though? I'm glad you mentioned that because Monet mentioned, she said, okay, th- these are, you know, because she's one of those type people. She's like detail-oriented. <laughs> so, and, and she's like, mom, we got to do so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so. And I'm like, well, can you just give me time to like catch up from like... <laughs> I'm not there yet, right? I'm not there yet. I know that you're like light years ahead, but just can I just catch up, please? We do have um, some some events planned. We're going to bring back. I know. I know we're going to bring back at least one of the plays from the original season, but probably two of those plays are coming back from from the first season, and I'm excited about it. um, About them both. Are they plays written by you? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I I think what I'm most excited about is that when we had our first season, as you probably know, when, when you start out something, that's with any business and, and especially with like creative work, you don't really know if, if everybody's going to buy into your vision. Mm-hmm. So you don't know if people are going to come and support and you know, when, when you have this good thing and you know it's good, but no one else knows it. Well, now I think that they know who we are. So I'm excited about going back and bringing that body of work forward mm-hmm. so that that can be part of the conversation mm-hmm. about us and about who, who we are. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the future... Do you have some dreams about what Mojoa will turn into five years from now? I do. I have several dreams, but the one that jumps out probably more so than all of them is having a space where we can say, this is our space. That's, that's first and foremost. And I know that that's a challenge for most small companies. You know, we, we put on shows wherever we can and, and we're always thankful for, for that space, but you, but you still want your home base. So having a home base and having a space where when you open a door, you'll see Maybe you'll go down a hall and you'll see like students in like maybe a dance class over here. And then maybe down another hall, you'll see like maybe like an acting class and then like a small intimate space, like a a black box for like rehearsals and then a larger space for performances. Mm -hmm. I see it being a space where where the community feels like, okay, this is our space so we can come and go as, you know, and a a space that's not just for theater, but for, um, you know, for the community to come and and utilize. And, but I see all types of art. Oh, also I see maybe some small music rooms, studio style, Mm -hmm. so that if, if, uh, if a band wanted to come and rehearse or if music lessons were, were going on at the same time, I, I see that. And, and I see maybe about to start, I'm going to say about five full-time staff members, five. I, I'd just be happy with five. Mm-hmm. That would make me really happy. 
that's my dream. That's my number one dream. The other dream, I'm going to tell you about, about my part two dream. Okay. My part two dream is that, and I'm thankful for my full-time job because it affords me the opportunity to pay my bills, but also to put money into Mojoa and to do, and I'm so thankful, but the ultimate dream would be full-time Mojoa Mm -hmm. so that I can focus all of my energy on that. And everybody that knows me knows that about me, you know? That's that's another reason why it, it's it's good to network and to be around other people that are doing it so that you can learn, okay, what do I need to do differently? How how can I change um maybe what I'm doing? Tweet because I I some some people would probably think, you know, well, well, I know everything. I have the education, I went to school for this or that. And and I'm like, yes, well, I did too, but there's still ways to support and help each other. And um, because the thing that I love about this area too, is that um, there are so many companies, but there's enough work for everybody. And just because my show may be going up the same time as your show, we, we may not even have have the same audience. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just really great to support each other in that, you know, quest because we all want that same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we do. I'm going to circle back one more time to this community okay. idea, and then we're going to change focus just a little bit. But I just think it's such a hallmark of the work that Mojoa does that there's such a heart for community. And I know that has to come from somewhere and I'm thinking it probably comes from you initially. Why are you focused so much on community building and including the folks you're you're talking about as like the everyday people? Why is that important? Well, that's, that's important because uh, I, I think because that's me. I'm I'm the every everyday person. I mean, you're gonna see me at the grocery store. That's right. You'll see me at the light. You'll see me in the mall. You know, I'm 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 that everyday person. A lot of times, because we are so busy, you know, doing our our day to day, our passions and our dreams get get put on the back burner, especially women. Mm. So my thing is. If I can realize my dream, then why can't you? Mm-hmm. Why? And then if if I can help you, why can't I help you? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a story. One of the actors we had this year with Escape to, to Freedom, she is 72. She'd always wanted to act, always wanted to perform, but she really didn't. She she wasn't confident in the fact that she could remember her lines or or that she would somehow mess it up. So she came to, to audition and I saw her sitting in the car and, and she started and she started to call, but she sent a text and, and then she said, Well 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 my husband's not, you know, uh, we have something we have to do, so I'm gonna leave. I said, You know what? It'll only take a minute for you to come in. And and I promise it, it it won't be so bad. I promise you. 
So she she came in and I gave her a side and I, I told her where she needed to stand and um, what she needed to do. And I told her to practice first. I said, so practice first. And so she, she did. And then she came and she, she read, she read a side from, from doll's house, Ibsen. Mm. And so she, she read it and um, then she stayed and she stayed and I had some other folks coming. So I finally had to, and I said, well, well, thank you. And I said, and well, we will let you know in about two days or whatever. So, I mean, I knew I was going to say yes. I mean, because you you have to make space for people. Right. You make space, you know? So so what if they flub up a lot? But you make space for them because that's what that's what we are we're all about. And so she came back. She was in Escape to Freedom and she ended up doing a wonderful job at it. And Afterwards, she she thanked me. She gave me a hug and she thanked me. She said, thank you for believing in me in times when I didn't believe in me. And I said, and it, it, it touched me in a deep way because it's like so often, you know, auditioning is hard anyway, because you're standing up in front of people and you're begging them to see me, see me in my glory even though I may stand up here and I may have to start over or I may not necessarily hit that note, but I promise you I can sing. I promise you I can dance. I know these lines. Please call on me, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they get up there and it's not like that. I mean, they get nervous and I understand that. So it's it's all about finding the humanity and and the arts. You know, that that's what it should be about with with anything that's going on in the world. We should be able to find that 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 thing, whatever it is, whether it's a dance performance or whether we go to a gallery, art gallery or whether we go to the theater and and for just a little bit be able to, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what it's about. I love this story so much because. You're inviting people to take part in this work that you love so much. And that is so powerful. I think as artists, once we know how good it feels to do the work, there's this feeling of like, everybody needs to do this. (laughs) It's amazing. And for for various reasons, not everybody is there yet. They haven't gotten to that. And so having an open invitation to all members of the community, even if you haven't experienced what it's like to be on stage or create something, you still can. And when you do, it's going to be awesome. You know, I love that. I love that encouragement. So I want to pivot a little bit to an article I read in Indie Week, and it was uh, in the paper in the spring of 2018, focused on the Bull City Black Theater Festival that went up at Man Bites Dog Theater in March of 2018. So I'm going to read a quote from that. It says, quote, At Bull City Black Theater Festival, Retta Green and Robin Carmen Marshall's session Next Act focuses on raising up the voices and stories of women 50 and older, a demographic for which American theater has had shamefully little use. We have so much to say, and we've just not been heard, says Green, an Obie-winning stage and film actor who recently appeared in Man Bites Dogs, Life Sucks, unquote. What are your thoughts about... Retta's statement. We've just not been heard. You know, she is, she is so right. 
(laughs) (laughs) I love Retta. And she is so right. I mean, this is what's hard for me. It's, It's hard for me to go to a performance and know a play and know that the playwright specifically said that they want that person to be, you know, female age, age 60. And then I see someone there age 30. And I know that they've, they've gone in the back in the makeup room <laughs> and put some, you know, or either put a, a, a gray wig or something on them. And it hurts because I know that there are people who are the right age who can do that role. Mm. Give them an opportunity. We don't get that many. So the ones that, that, that are out there give us that chance. That's hurtful. It's mm-hmm. hurtful. I mean, I mean, you see it on, on film all the time where, where they age actors. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, but what about this one or that one or that one? They could do that. You know, they still need to work. They still want to work. So one thing that, that we did this year, we sent out a call for plays written by or for elders of color, ages 50 plus. And the funny thing was some people went, when, when they said, well, why are you doing 50? And, and I said, because, you know, because I just want to do 50. So we're just going to do 50. So there, so, and we got plays written by, now some of the plays were written by playwrights 50 and over, but some of them were not. But the requirement was that cast had to be predominantly folks 50 or over. Mm. Well, we got plays from all over the world. Oh, really? Yes. We got plays from all over the world and we only needed 12 because we wanted it, it to be, um, you know, this is like, like short plays now short. Um, so 10 pages or less. And we got plays from all over the world. So it, it let me see a a couple of things that we are still writing. We still have stories to tell Mm -hmm. and we still want to be heard. We don't want to be silenced. We don't. Sometimes, you know, you, when you been in the been out there for so long and and if we're older maybe we don't have that energy to to maybe fight uh and that's the only word I can think of right now maybe like some of the younger folks but we still have things we need to say and things that they need to hear that only we know mm-hmm. and so um we we've been doing short plays Every year, 12, 12 plays, and we would um, do submissions from the first year we did the plays we did by plays written by women of color. Second year, we did plays written by men of color. And so this year we chose to do the elders of color. And that body of work is called Reclamation. Mm-hmm. Because we're, we're talking about reclaiming and taking back things that had been stolen from us or opportunities that were denied. And so we have have that play on the front steps of a plantation, former former plantation, because that was the one space that we couldn't or did not have access to. 
We could go in the side door or around the corner, but we couldn't go up the front steps. Mm. So we would, so we um, stage it there at Mordecai. Needless to say, with this last one that we did with the elders of color, the day that we were supposed to have it, it rained. So we had it in, there's a, a chapel at Mordecai. So we had it there and it was awesome. Hmm. It was beautiful because we still, we, you know, we, we had audience uh, was, was mixed, but we had, had a lot of like older folks in the audience who came out to support other older folks in the, you know, who, who were in the plays. Retta was also there. It, what, what it showed me again was that we need more opportunities like this for folks, mm-hmm. for, for our, our older folks in the community. So it sounds like it's partially casting appropriately, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it's also about creating new work. Yes. And, and what kind of responses did you get from the people who participated in the play it was a reading. There were readings. Well, there were mainly readings, but then some of them were also staged. Okay. Yes. And what? How did people respond who were in the plays? They were excited about having having an opportunity to be in the the show, but to read this um, new work mm-hmm. that was written by maybe someone their age, or or if not, to read work that was written specifically for someone their age, they were excited about it. And they also had an opportunity. One, one of the playwrights came to, to the event and um, two of them, actually, they are in, see, where are they? They are like world travelers. So they like, I mean, they're like, they, Hmm. they, they just travel. That's all they do. They, they travel and write, travel and create. Wow. So, <laughs> so um, they were able to to actually see their work because we um, taped all of it. We taped it, so we we sent sent everybody a copy of their work so that they could see, and we gave them feedback on it, and you know had the actors and and you know just it was like a a, a process. Yes, for for act for the the playwrights. Mm-hmm. And also let me say some of them were first time play playwrights. So, and, and some of them, you know, share that they had, you know, sent their work out for years and had never, you know, and to be someone older and then to have this thing that you've been doing for maybe a while and you've never had your work read or produced outside of you doing it, mm-hmm. It, it, you know, so that's what we're about to making dreams come true. The other thing that we did with that this year, which was, uh, we also did it last year, but what we did was a new director's workshop where we took those 12 plays and we split them up and we did workshops with folks who were interested in learning how to direct or directing. And so we gave them an opportunity to direct these, um, plays hmm. And so, you know, we're just trying to, you know, let the community know, first of all, um, you have been been acting or performing in some fashion or form all your life. So, you know, you you bring in that 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 you're already doing 
to the stage is just an extension of who you are. Is you don't have to do anything big or special. You just have to come to the stage and be yourself or come into the space. And, you know, if you see that if you're reading a script and you see that, well, this needs to happen here, this actor needs to move here. They they may not necessarily know the terminology of blocking or or stage left, stage right, but they got good enough sense to say, you know what, I want you to move here or there. If they know that, let let them say it that way first. Mm-hmm. And then you teach them how to say, you know, well, this is stage left or stage right or up or down. But you take them where they are and you accept them and not, you know, um, I've been in places where even I didn't feel comfortable because there should never be, as far as I'm concerned, a separation between the audience and the stage, um, because if if you don't have an audience, then what's the purpose? Mm-hmm. They're both valued. They're both valued. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than coming into a space and feeling like you're not enough or you're not measuring up. Right. And to create a space where that is never an issue is a wonderful gift yes. to give. Because as you mentioned when we were when we first started this conversation, where people feel free to make mistakes they also feel free to grow mm-hmm. and you have to have both. Uh, and so that's, it's crucial. It's crucial to have a place where you feel safe enough to do both things, yes. you know, to thrive yes. and to fail. Yes. <laughs> Were there any common themes that you noticed in these plays written by or for elders of color? In a few of them, yes. History. Hmm. Some of them went, some of the plays, um, the playwrights went, back in history and they reimagined what it would look like if if maybe this happened as opposed to that and one part was about we talked about Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson that was one and one play we talked about Uncle Tom's, see, the, na- the name of the play is Uncle Tom's Hanger. And he talks about when his role back in history, he educates us on the meaning of, of, of what it means when we, when we say that this person is an Uncle Tom. But he also tells exactly what he did in history, how he, how how we have it messed up or we have it mixed up and he corrects. The next play talks about hair, about um, Madam CJ Walker, how she invented like the, the comb, straightening comb and the, the hair straighteners, but how she was actually under someone else. And she took her brand and made it her own and made all this money not giving credit to mm. the original person. So, and then, and so then she talks about wanting credit. And so it, it was all these like reimaginings. What if this happened? Mm-hmm. What if you honor me? What if you see me for, for my truth? And there were also a few comedies. One was about this lady. She was, um, she says has been 62 in the play and she was pregnant <laughs> and her son, her grown son 
was <laughs> she was actually trying to cr- cross the road. Now the thing is, let me let me share this. This was written by um, a man in the UK, and when when we accepted it and I read it, I'm like, okay. I'm like, but I was 62 year old. You know, most of them they don't really live in like a senior a senior home. Right. You know, you know. But it, it was still funny. So when she's trying to cross the road so that she can hitchhike to go someplace warm to have this baby. And she has the EPT where the show that she's pregnant and he's trying to get her to come back. No. And the cars are whizzing by and she's, you know, so it was, it's really funny. So there were comedies and there were, you know, some serious stuff. And, and then there were also like coming of age or not really coming of age, coming, coming to the realization that I'm enough sometimes. And, and, I know I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, here it is. I'm, I'll soon be 55 and I still don't feel like a real grown up person. I don't feel like I'm adulting enough. Right. And, you know, I don't have all my stuff together, you know, like all of that. So it plays like that. And so, and when you see that, you realize, you know what? I'm not the only one. Right. And, and so what if I want to shop in the junior department, you know, (laughs) (laughs) who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do? Little girl, give me that top. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so yeah. (laughs) I sometimes I feel like I'm younger now than when I was 20. Sort of my basic approach to life feels more youthful. But part of that was I wasn't letting myself be young when I was young, you know? I I think that happened a lot though. Hmm. Because I, I swear I did that. I, I was trying to grow up so fast and trying to get away. Yeah. That I, that, you know, uh, in hindsight. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. That's one of those plays. Like, yeah. Writing the, the history of if we could go back. Yes. Right. right. So I want to talk a little bit about your process. You do so many things. You're the executive director of a theater company. You're a performer, a choreographer, a director, an activist, probably 10 more things that I don't have on this list. But it seems like you strongly identify as a writer and a playwright. And I read a blog post that you wrote, and here's a quote from that. You wrote, there is one thing I'm sure about, and I'll be the first to admit it. Like eagles have to soar to travel, babies have to cry to communicate, Winds have to blow and waves have to ebb and flow. I have to write. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Why is writing a necessity in your life? Writing, for me, has always been my uh, my fallback. And, and what I mean by that is sometimes I have... I have this thing where I, when I'm, when I'm stressed or if I'm tired, I stutter. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes I'm like, you know, you know, you can be in a situation, say something stressful and maybe not be able to find, you know, words to say, but I'm, I'm able to, to sit in front of a computer and just say fluently what it is I need to say making sure that it's, you know, that when whoever reads it, that they can hear my heart. Hearing my heart is is just really important. 
because sometimes you'll you'll see an argument maybe going on, you know, between two people. But I, I, I bet you nine times out of 10, you can't hear their heart. Right. Because they're so busy, you know, with that, you know, with the anger and then going back and forth. So anyway, I've, I've always been a writer. As far as my process for writing, for starting a play, I'll have an idea. And usually what happens, I will, will do all the research get get the characters you know fully i mean i can almost see them mm. and then i'll i'll go into the room and then i'll start i'll start by writing longhand just like you know character descriptions you know what they look like where they live how they sound if they have any quirks if they you know what their backstory is where were they 30 minutes before coming into the scene mm. all of that stuff and once i sit down at the computer all these characters will come into place and I just, I just type what they say, what they, you know, um, is just like, you know, you, you create these characters and then you set up this, this world. Okay. So then how, how is this person reacting? Sometimes it doesn't always come out like I think it should, you know, sometimes the characters will go off and do do their own thing. And I'm like, well, that's not what I was thinking you were going to do. <laughs> Who's in charge oh, here, right? Me, you and me. <laughs> so, but they they do. And so when when I let them do what they were created to do and not try to, you know, as the, you know, hand of God, go in and try to make them do and stand on my soapbox and say, this is wrong. That's mm-hmm. why you shouldn't do so. It's so much better. Mm-hmm. I I had to learn that though, you know, um, because when I first started, I was gonna get that, get on that soapbox by the end of that place. So help me, but I don't feel the need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Once you create those characters, you have to stay true to who they are, to their voice, mm-hmm. and um, that's usually. And and then once the play is done, I'll, I'll let it sit for a bit, let it sit and simmer. And just do something totally different. And then I'll go back to it and then read it and then try to fix stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I'll give it to Monet. Now, now she is my voice of reason. She is one who's always truthful no, no matter what. Because she's not afraid of me, for one. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't care if, if, I, if, if my feelings get hurt or whatever. She's going to tell me the truth if it hurts. Mm. She, she's going to tell me. Um, so I'll, I'll give it to her, send it to her. And then, and then she'll have these. So, but why did you decide to do this? She said, I'm not understanding this. Mm, I think you need to flesh this out. I don't know about that, but you need somebody who will be honest with you. You need someone like that in your corner. And Mm -hmm. so, and, and, and she's that person. So after she's read through it and then I've gone back. And then it's time for me to maybe have people come in to read it so I can hear it. I had her read a play of mine that was in draft form and she gave excellent comments. Mm -hmm. So if you are looking for somebody to pay to give you feedback on a draft script, I highly recommend Monet Marshall because she, she was, she gave me some great notes. So are you working on anything right now as a playwright? I am. I am. I am working on this body of work um, called Uncle Sam's Nieces. 
And this is about government workers who, during the war, when all the men were at war, they would have the women to come in and do work that were normally assigned to the men. Mm-hmm. And so my my mother-in-law happened to be one of those ladies. And she had these beautiful pictures and and then she would tell these stories. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. That's that's fascinating. What was her job? She worked for the Department of the Navy and and she was a typist. And she she moved from she actually she first started in the first job was in Chicago and then she went to Washington. And so and then she met all of these all all of these all of these ladies from all over the country. And so I started doing some research on it and on them and where they lived and just gathering the information and I'm and and I thought this would be a beautiful musical. Hmm. So I'm doing my first musical. So I'm actually what I'm doing now is is trying to gather uh some uh, a team of folks because you know I'm I don't write music I'm I'm not I mean I know I know what what the songs sound like you know but to be able to write it out so someone else can play it that's not my gift you know that's somebody else's gift <laughs> right right but I'm excited about this I'm excited about it because. You really don't hear that much. I I haven't really heard anything about it. I didn't really know anything about it until she she talked about it. I knew I knew about the government workers, but um, I didn't know anything else mm-hmm. other than the fact that okay, this has happened. But um, yeah, so I'm doing that now, working on that. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap up? Other than the fact that we're here, I think about. Um, Dr. Seuss mm. <laughs> and Horton Hears a Who. <laughs> and I, I want to shout out sometimes, we're here, we're here, we're here, we're here. And we, and, and, you know, you may not necessarily see us like around, or we may be like in the, you know, process of working on something. So you don't hear from us in a while, but we're here and we're here for such a time as this. And we plan to, to be here a while. Yeah. That's all. Well, thank you so much you so for this much conversation. For I have been looking forward to it for a long time. Me too. So I'm excited to see what this next season brings. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. Please support the podcast via our Patreon page, patreon.com slash artist soapbox. For more information, go to our website, artistsoapbox.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. All of this information is in the show notes. Artist Soapbox music is composed by Bart Matthews. Thanks so much, and we're out. <laughs>